Hi, welcome to Master Your Mind with me, Marissa Peer, teaching you the secrets to harness the powerful potential of your mind so you can have a fulfilled and happy and extraordinary life. Send your questions or your problems you'd love me to solve to podcast at marissapeer.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another exciting podcast. My guest today is from my own country, the UK, but she lives half in New Mexico and half in California, half in LA. Her name is Ione Butler, and she's very good at getting us away from all the negativity. You know, you've probably heard of the perma crisis and how we're all lurching from one disaster to another. Ione is in the middle of writing a book, and she's going to talk to us about how to get away from all this negativity. So welcome, Ione. I'm thrilled that you're here. I'd love to ask you, first of all, about your book. Tell me about it. What's it called? What's it about? Where did you get the idea to write it from? Yes, I'd love to. Thanks for having me. Um, so uh, for most of my life, or young adult, young life, young adult life, I dealt with a lot of depression and uh, it was crippling. Um, I wasn't able to kind of to do much. Mm. And I always... I'm a very driven, motivated person and being in these like depths of despair was really challenging because I hated to feel like that. I hated feeling like, you know, uh, just stuck. And so I would always be actively seeking, trying to find ways to feel better, to feel inspired, to kind of lift myself out of this funk. And I would struggle to find content that would be uplifting and pick me up. Um, And so the idea for the social media platform and the movement that I've built, Uplifting Content, came from that. Basically wanting uh, some real estate on social media that was uplifting. Uh, I don't like using the word positive all the time. I try to refrain from using the word positive because I just feel like it's it's not as simple as just being positive. Uh, I don't really like that kind of stuff, but I do try to uplift people with the stories that I tell, inspiring stories about remarkable things that everyday people have done. Because I feel like when you see great things that other people do, it inspires you to want to do the the same thing. And with the platform, it's a twofold thing. It's, It's wanting to lift people up out of sort of these low energy states into like a higher vibration and inspiring them to take positive action and do something. And so Uplifting Stories, my book, is a continuation of the the platform. Everything was very much on social media before Uplifting, the Facebook is where we have our main uh, audience. But I don't really like to spend too much time on social media. I think it's actually quite detrimental to my own mental health. And so I wanted another avenue, something that people could hold, read, listen to the audiobook. Um, you know, just to put them in a in a positive headspace. Oh, I said the word positive. <laughs> I better say it sometimes. I say it all the time. <laughs> yeah. So give me an idea, Ione. Give, could you give our audience some handy hints, if you like? Let's imagine we've just watched the news about Ukraine and COVID and war feeling really stressed and, and worried and indeed anxious. What kind of advice could you give us? Or what, what, what's it all? Something you could suggest right now that would be uplifting as opposed to making Yeah, feel- well, I mean, the opening uh, line lines of the book is, do you sometimes despair at the state of the world? Are you disappointed with the people in it? You know, like the, the whole, the reason for the book is because what I found is being stuck in the news cycle is what causes a lot of anxiety and depression for me. I recently, I was up this morning reading a bunch of stuff and then feeling awful. And so 
the first thing I would say is to uh, acknowledge what consuming these things are doing to you, to your mental health. The whole premise of my work is we hear the line, you are what you eat. My phrase is you are what you consume because it's not just what you eat. It's what you listen to, what you watch, the products you put on your skin that gets absorbed into you, as well as the food we eat. Everything has some kind of any everything we take in has an impact on our physical and mental well-being being so first of all the the war has been deeply upsetting for me um i don't watch the news i don't sort of just scroll through endless stories of the horror and the despair what i do do is pick a couple of days a week where i will read up on it i will look for sources that i find reputable and read up on it and then take action and it's rather than just consuming and doing nothing, donating, reaching out to friends who have Ukrainian friends and family, asking if there's anything that they think would be helpful for me to do. Doing a thing to take action and then putting it down. Because I don't think we serve anybody by just constantly hearing about their trauma and sorrow and sadness, feeling sorry for them, and then just, you know, going about our day feeling sad, but not doing anything. Like That doesn't help anybody. So my thing is, educate yourself, be aware, don't be ignorant to what's happening, but do a thing that you can find solace in that you've taken an action, however small, and then put it down because you don't serve the world when you're in this state of despair and depression and, you know, feeling awful and suicidal or anxious or whatever it is that's going on that doesn't serve anybody. So what would be some of the things that you would do? Give me an idea of some of the things. Yeah, I have this, uh, I call it this radical self-care mode, which I go into and I've, I I sometimes have to stop and think about how far I've come from when I was younger to just living in this really dark um, space to now being happy and fulfilled and really loving life. Um, It's an, but so it's not as uh, prevalent, the depression anymore. But what I start to realize is if things are starting to bother me or upset me, I wake up with this feeling of dread or if I'm reading the news or watching or reading too much about the war, I get incredibly upset and I start to kind of sink. Um, First of all, it's the awareness that there's something wrong and I start to take care of myself. The immediate thing is cutting off all of that stuff that is triggering these emotions, Um, not just reading news 24-7, listening to all of it. Other things are spending time with friends and family. I used to sometimes, well, as a depressed person, I would kind of isolate myself and that wouldn't help. It becomes this perpetual cycle. You're depressed because you're lonely and then you're not reaching out to anybody because you're depressed. And then that makes you even more lonely because you're not seeing anybody. So it's, you know, um, connecting human connection is one of the most important things. So just reaching out to a friend, asking just to chat to somebody, be around people, uh, for me personally helped, uh, being in nature and having these kind of digital detoxes have been really helpful. I have uh, some property out in Joshua tree that I just like to get away to. Um, just it's there's, it's off the grid pretty much. And so it's very chill, um, going for hikes. Um, uh, we're kind of blessed to be able to do that here in, in California, but just being in nature, it's not good to see sit inside or uh, be in a concrete jungle all day. And then there's things like meditation, um, reading, 
Uh, I typically tend to, you hear about all these people that have these really great morning habits where they wake up and they journal and they, they do their exercise. And I'm terrible at that. I, I really can't stick at a routine. But I do have all of these tools, if you will, that are at my disposal for when I start to feel like I'm crashing a little bit. And I will sort of jump into all of that. So the meditation, the journaling, yoga, exercise, exercise is incredibly important, eating better, just sort of cleaning up what my act and what I'm eating, drinking more water. Um, and so those are my kind of, yeah, uh, radical self-care things. Oh, and another thing is that doing the things that I love. So if you want to sing, joining a choir and singing, if you like dancing, going on Groupon and taking a salsa class, you know, just try to tap into some of those things that bring you joy, no matter how big or small painting, you know, just reconnect with the stuff that you love. And that helps get me out of that funk. And then I feel like when we're in this better vibrational place, that's when you can do, do great things. Ione, you're the founder of Uplifting Content Hub. And your book is called Uplifting Stories. I would love to know, and our audience would love to know too, what is the most uplifting thing that's ever happened to you? I, uh, lots of uplifting things. I have quite a few moments of joy when you, yeah. On first reflection, I was thinking of just that some of the different moments that I've had with the platform. And one that comes to mind is sharing a video that I'd made about depression, the first ever video that I kind of put my heart and soul out into a video and posted it into the world. And it went <coughs> viral and had about 300,000 views and I was inundated with messages and stuff. And I was very anxious at the time about putting something like that, that out. I was a bit nervous about how it would be received. Um, but everybody was very loving and supportive. And what, what was kind of, well, a bit sad, but also uplifting was how many people uh, had said to me, I, I never knew that you felt that way. I see you as this kind of go-getter, successful person, hustler, and um, I never thought of you like that. And I felt this same way. And like knowing that you're able to open up and talk about it has helped me open up and talk about it. And so I found that really inspiring. It was one of the reasons that I decided to keep moving forward with the platform. Um, I feel like when you are vulnerable and raw and honest, um, it, it, it helps. It's really, it allows people to connect, connect. So yeah, that was one of them. Uh, other moments of joy for me have just been adventures traveling uh, in Bolivia. Salar de Uyuni is this kind of trip that you can go on. It's like a, a sand, a, a, like a white desert basically. And I just had an amazing experience, a four day trip with very cool people in a natural hot spring among under the stars, uh, surrounded by mountains one evening. And so that was one moment where I was like, this life is amazing. And there's there's lots of other ones, but that was a pretty special one. I always think that it's often the getting into clean sheets to the first cup of tea in the morning, mm. drinking some water when you're thirsty. It's often the simplest things that give us the most pleasure. And I think we forget how simple things, hearing someone laugh, hearing mm -hmm. birds song. For me, when my cat comes and sits on my knee, I, I would live on a canal, so I always wake up to the sound of herons. And I just love the sounds of ducks. I find that I just, it's, it's always little, it's never the big things. Oh yeah, Christmas day, someone bought me this great bag. I got some jewelry. It's, oh, when I had my first cup of coffee or getting into clean sheets or that smell of grapefruit shower gel. I find smells and tastes and sounds mm -hmm. and immense pleasure. 
But for you, can you tell me more about where where did this passion begin to have uplifting stories? When did it start? And how did you discover it was what made your heart sing? Uh, Well, it was kind of going back to what I was saying earlier on about, um, you know, always wanting to find something that would help me personally be lifted out of these low moods and then it not being there. And so not finding something like that and then just basically wanting to create something on social media that could do it. Another big inspiration was a uh, an amazing guy that I work with called Prince EA. He's a spoken word artist. He does really powerful videos about love and um, the environment and all sorts of other things. And I had auditioned for one of his uh, pieces and just instantly fell in love with him. You could, he just has such a great heart and was doing such incredible stuff. And I just remember thinking, you're doing everything that I want to do. Um, and so I got to work with him on his video and he became like a mentor and really helped me, um, kind of create uplifting content and it's it's taken many iterations it was a production company then it was the the hub of content then it was the book um and uh i'm not sure what the next chapter of it is gonna be yet but it's i think it's important that it's it's still out there so you started your life as an actress in england i believe tell me about that yeah, I still am an actress. Um, I recently did the last episode of Better Call Saul, which was very cool because I'm a big fan of the show. Me too. Um, I love that show. It's so good. Um, yes, it was. That was actually that was a very cool moment of joy to be a massive fan of a show while you're in the show. In the last episode with all the the main actors, I was just. It was it was so incredible. I had to pinch myself. Um, Uplifting so, yeah. experience because you were even at the rap party too. I wasn't at the rap party, no. But they did. They were kind of celebrating a lot of kind of some of the the big actors were their their last days there. So that was really lovely to see all the speeches and stuff like that. But I don't even know. As you know, I think they did have a party. I wasn't invited. Um, but uh, so I started out my career in the UK. It was a bit of a struggle, a bit of a hustle. Um, the UK industry as an actress is very different it's very small and mm-hmm. my theory is if you don't make it out if you don't make it big very quickly it's it's very difficult years later to kind of break in whereas what i found with la was i was able to start supporting myself from acting within six months of moving out here which i never thought would actually happen in the uk um i'm a hustler um and so i think that has something to do with it there's just a lot more opportunity here and i've kind of grown and built and uh, I have a production company now. That's sort of my day job, if you will, uh, producing my own content. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I've, I, it, the, the passion comes and goes in waves. It's incredibly difficult to, um, to kind of keep going with it, facing a lot of rejection. I sometimes give myself a hard time and question whether or not I'm doing the right thing. But whenever I take long breaks from it, I always want to get back to acting. So I know that there's something there, but I also think that it's okay to like, want to do something different. You know, what, what I'm really craving now is travel. I used to travel a lot for many months of the year, go on big three month trips. And obviously due to COVID, I haven't been able to do that. And so this year it's going to be a month in uh, Italy. And next year I plan to do the whole of next year traveling. And I feel like with a big travel trip, it's difficult to be an actress and be in LA. Uh, so I might just put it on the back burner while I go and travel. And normally once I come back from a trip, I'm so 
just hungry and motivated and inspired. And so uh, I think it's good to just to mix things up a little bit, try something different, get some, uh, find your inspiration through a trip oh. or something. How did you find your inspiration to turn uplifting content? What was a thought, a dream, a goal, if you like, but how did hmm. you find the inspiration, the wherewithal to turn that into reality? What challenges did you face? Oh, well, what was, part, what was the most rewarding part? Yeah, I have a, there's a, a chapter a story in the book about sort of my journey. And, and my thing is you, you start with an idea. A lot of the times people then go, oh, that's a nice idea. And then don't do anything else about it. The next part is the, uh, you find the ways. So I get very inquisitive. I ask a lot of questions. I do a lot of research if it's about, you know, developing a, if it's about, you know, investing in property, finding a realtor, like taking the steps finding the ways and then taking action and so for uplifting content uh prince ea who i mentioned was a big inspiration he kind of had a blueprint uh for the work that he was doing i uh took a leaf out of his book and was you know he was a great mentor um and just kind of grew it and worked with people and collaborated with people i uh was sharing a lot of uh jay shetty's work in his early days he was a he is quite the hustler and was always reaching out to people to do uh, share for shares on on of his content on other people's pages and stuff. Um, and then after a little while, I, I started start to take a bit of a back burner, um, got some have a fantastic social media person who helps me deal with the social media because what I was realizing was I don't want to be spending eight hours a day on social media just for me it's not it's not my jam and so i did the book as something different i started doing uh facebook lives again um last week as a way of just connecting with people because that was one of the things that brought me the most joy with the platform was it was it's a community of people to support each other and talk to each other and be there when we're going through stuff um so i'm doing that again now too uh, but yeah, got a lot of I got a lot of guidance from Prince EA in the early days. And you've interviewed some amazing people, some remarkable people. One that stands out is Kyle Maynard, motivation mm, yeah. speaker, and the first quadruple amputee to reach the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro, which is amazing. And he did it all without the aid of prosthetics. So tell me about interviewing him. That must have been extraordinary and indeed uplifting. But Tell me about that. Yeah, it's so interesting. He's a very charismatic, charming, lovely man. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just really connected with him. Um, his story is remarkable. His his whole philosophy is no excuses. So he's a, a motivational speaker and, and he, he has a point, you know, he can climb mountains um, with no limbs without the aid of prosthetics. And so if he can do things, this, you know, what, what can we, yeah. what, what are our excuses? Um, but what was really great is I got to meet him about a year after I interviewed him for the book, I knew that he was going to Burning Man, which is this uh, festival that kind of happens mm -hmm. out in the desert. And um, we bumped into each other on the last day of the festival. I knew that he was there, but I hadn't seen him. We hadn't arranged to meet up anywhere in this uh, non-denominational church ceremony. It was music and singing and just lovely, beautiful stuff on a really lovely Sunday morning with breeze rolling through this tent and then kyle was there um and i got to spend some personal time with him we uh, my friends and i drove him back to la um he is such an interesting character like he has found ways to uh he's found ways to like be in the world uh on his terms um 
it's very fascinating to watch him because he's very confident. He's very commanding. Um, he's a fascinating human being uh, and has a, has a very heartfelt, uh, powerful story. What's the most influential piece of advice you took away from interviewing him, apart from no excuses? What did he say that was most influential and indeed uplifting to you? Um, I struggle with most things that are the most, but um, he did... He uh, talked about a story which actually kind of resonated with me about uh, two guys that had come back from, I can't remember if it was Iraq or Afghanistan or, or somewhere, and they'd, they'd been a, an explosion. And uh, they were kind of in the hospital together feeling like they weren't sure how they were going to kind of continue with life. And then they saw a story about Kyle, um, and it basically gave them this, inspiration to kind of keep moving forward and he actually bumped in he met them in an airport one time when he was feeling really low and met these two guys that were like we need to tell you the story you kind of saved us in a way um, and I thought that was really powerful and again it kind of links back to what I was saying about when we share our struggles and the things that we overcome and and you know, our, our ways of dealing with stuff. Mm -hmm. It has so much power to help other people. And, you know, he may not have met those, if he hadn't met those guys, you, you don't know who you have the power to, um, yeah. who you have influenced and, and inspired. So, you know, just keep showing up, keep being authentic. I try and I try to share my, um, uh, not just share my struggles and complain about things, but share the things and, and how I have dealt with them or how I am dealing with them. So it's, uh, this is where I'm at and this is what's working or this is what's not working as, as a way of kind of making it productive. So it was great that he, that he has, has such a huge impact on people. So you're an actress, you're an author, you're an entrepreneur mm. and you're a presenter, mm. a speaker, how do you maintain a work-life balance? What do you do to give you that when you've got like four different careers going on at any given time? How do you have work-life balance? I've started to get really good at saying no. And uh, I kind of have these little life audits from time to time where I evaluate everything that is on my plate and what's working and what isn't, the things that I'm enjoying the most. I stopped doing my podcast um, I think last, I think it was in 20, the beginning of 2020, I stopped doing that. Actually, it probably would have been a good thing to do it over COVID. Um, but I stopped doing it just because I thought, okay, I think I've reached where I want to reach with this and um, uh, I'm okay to to invest my time in something else. Um, now with work, I'm taking on less and less jobs, being paid more. One thing that already, that, that so asking for more, rather than being caught as a hamster on a wheel, because that was something that was happening a lot. I was doing so much work all the time. And a friend of mine had said something to me years ago, which really stuck, which was work smart, not hard. Yeah, and my goal, enough. right. And so my goal is to, to live comfortably, do well, by doing as little as possible. And, and so I just think, uh, the, the ways in which I can do that have residual income for things like rental property, um, outsource where possible, um, so that I am, you know, not having to do absolutely everything all the time. Um, the more and more popular, uh, the more and more in demand I get for my production work, the, I, I increase my rates slightly so that I'm not having to be frantic, but I can still maintain a, a, an amount or make more 
by doing less. And so just little things like that. And then just constantly assessing, do I really want to do this? How do I feel about this right now? Like right now I'm having a bit of a, how do I feel about acting moment? And so I'm just sitting with that, still going with it, still auditioning, seeing what comes, but that's just a question in the ether. That's like, what do I want to do? So the way that I balance it is just, um, checking in from time to time, what needs to be done. And then also, you know, I've spent a lot of time apart from my boyfriend. He's been in LA. I've been in New Mexico, uh, in this time back, we've just had like basically 10 days of activities where we've gone to watch the movie. We're having a beach day tomorrow. We're going to a spa on Friday and it's just setting that time aside where we can not work, working our butts off in the morning and then going off and doing a thing and switching off. So I, I've got better and better at doing that. I was a hamster on a wheel for a very long time and I don't like that way of being. So I've, I've slowly weaned myself off the wheel. Me too. So what does happy look like to you and what does success look like to you? I mean, I love the fact that you, you see, you know, something happy and success is say yes to everything, but I like the fact you was like, no, I don't want to do that. No. I'd rather work less and even earn less than work more, earn more and have no quality of life. So if you had to define happiness and success for Ioni, what does it look like to you? To me, it's being able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And um, one of the things that I feel really blessed about is not having to wake up to an alarm. I have to sort of check myself that I wake up and I can choose what I want to do with my day. Um, and so to me, that is the ultimate success, being able to say, let's go to Italy for a month in September. Great. My girlfriend wants to go to Hawaii for her son's birthday in April. She, she said, you're the only friend that I know that I can just say, can we go away and you're available and you can do it. And I, she said that the other day and I thought that to me, I'm that, that I've reached the success that I've wanted to reach where I can just go on a whim on a trip with a girlfriend, um, for her son's birthday. Because so, success for you is freedom, isn't it? Sort of it is, that's exactly, you've nailed that's, it. That's exactly what it is. Freedom. freedom to say no, freedom to say yes, freedom to yes. do what you want, living life on your terms. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it all sounds exciting and well done to you for getting to that level where you're living your life your way. You're, you're deciding going to say yes to that, no to that, think about that. But take me back to what it was like living with depression. What do you think gave you depression? How long did you have it for? And what did you do to overcome it? Um, I had it, I would say all my life, I was a very sad child, uh, didn't want to exist. Uh, you was know very... why, let me interrupt you. Sorry, sorry let me I, ask you. Yeah, I was, an, I was an only child, which for the longest time I thought the term was lonely child because that's how I felt. Um, and I, and I, when, sometimes when I talk about this, I, I worry that my mum will hear it and take things personally, but like, she is the reason that I'm everything I am today. So I'm grateful, but she was a single mother for a long time who was very stressed and very strict. And I, I felt very lonely and kind of not loved. And like, I now know that everything she did was for me and she's the most proudest mum. And I'm grateful for her for being such a, you know, hard worker, cause it's given, it's instilled that in me. But yeah, growing up, it was just very sad and lonely and strict. And um, I began the stories in my head, which depression is, you know, no one loves you, you are a mistake, you're gonna fail, you're, no one's gonna ever be your friend, you'll never have a boyfriend, you know, all these horrible, horrible things that I had for the longest time. When I was about 16, 
I started to make friends in my neighborhood. Uh, I, I came from a very um, Indian and Pakistani area, so they had very strict parents also, and it wasn't as if people were allowed to just come around to my house mm. and hang out. We weren't allowed to just go walking around the parks and hang out. Everybody had strict parents, so that was very isolating. But when I got to about 16, I started to connect and have have friends mm -hmm. um, and that really helped um, and also like mixed race and black friends that could help me sort my hair out so I could start you know didn't feel like an ugly horrible person which is what I felt when I was really young um, so that was a thing then I went to uh, the Brit school when I was uh, 16 um, and so my mum wouldn't let me leave school because I was doing very well academically she didn't want me to go to a stage school for my GCSEs um, but when I was 16, I went to the Brit school and that was the first time I was doing the thing I loved in with, a, I mean, it was like fame. It was the most fun, silly. I just had the best two years of my childhood, I think at the Brit school. Um, and then as I got older, I kind of struggled at drama school, which is kind of the university equivalent. That was, that was a bit less fun because it was very, uh, it was a lot of favoritism and it was very crushing, you know, we're, we're going to rip you apart to build you up again all that kind of awful mentality that some institutions feel the need to have um and so i struggled with that and then coming out of it it was it was a rough few years out of drama school trying to make it in the uk trying to figure things out but i've, I've always wanted to to grow and be better and do better so I, I knew that i had to keep trying it wasn't fun and then a big changing point came when i moved to the us um uh, I started a network marketing company at the exact same time and a big emphasis on that company was personal development. I don't do anything, I don't do anything with it anymore, don't particularly like the products too much, but what I will always be grateful for that company for was instilling in me this um, habit of uh, reading in the morning and reading in the evening and that became the thing that like really changed my thought process, my life. Um, really helped deal with the depression and kind of got me on this entrepreneurial path. So it's been a, it's been a journey. Um, it's been sad and it's been wild, but, um, and, and it's interesting cause I, I don't feel like depression just magically goes away. It's, it's still there. Um, it, it still comes back. I still feel certain things, but it's just, I've got better tools to deal with it now. And, um, yeah. You said something which I picked up on because obviously I work with it all the time about children saying, I didn't feel my mom loved me. I didn't feel my parents loved me. And I know from being in this business for 30 years, that as a child, when your needs aren't met, when your mother is working two jobs or is busy or is stressed or is depressed or is hormonal or is ill, the child never looks at the mother and says, oh, she's not meeting my needs because she can't. The child says, oh, she's not meeting my needs. It's my fault. So when a parent doesn't appear to love the child, even though in your case, your mother did, the child doesn't ever stop loving that parent. They immediately and often permanently stop loving themselves. So if it's okay for you to discuss, what is it that went on in your childhood that made you feel that you weren't loved? I would say... Uh, I was just very, uh, we, there was no communication. There wasn't much communication. And if there mm -hmm. was, it was just sort of uh, angry communication. So I just spent a lot of time alone. Um, and it was just you and your mom, your dad wasn't there. No, no. Um, my dad's been, my mom's been with her 
partner she uh, started my stepdad and her have been together since I was nine so that they've been together for a very long time but for a good part it was just my mum and I um mm. and we were very separate um and then and then it started to get quite I'm very independent I don't like being told what to do so then sort of the teenage years just got very argumentative and uh so that was challenging <laughs> I think out. for most of it I just felt pardon do you have a good relationship with your mum now? Yes. And she's yes. proud of you. She's so proud. She's like my biggest cheerleader. And yeah. um, it's nice. We, it's, it's um, yeah, we have like once a year, she'll, she'll either, I, normally I get to see her twice a year. I'll go out to the UK. She'll come out to the US. And so we'll have some quality time. I think she wants to come and join us in, in Italy this year. So um, mm. it's nice. I think... At a certain point, too, one of the things that made our relationship better is my mum and my stepdad moved to the country and mm -hmm. well, Aylesbury, which isn't too much country, but kind of more than London. And I went to a drama school in London. And so when we weren't living together, my mum and I's relationship mm. got better, too, because mm. I am. I'm just very independent. I don't mind being told what to do if I want to do it. But if I don't. <laughs> Uplifting stories. Show me the cover and tell us where yeah. we can find it. Uh, uplifting stories here it is it's available wherever books are sold uh so uh check out amazon or your uh, local retailer um wait i'm holding it upside down here we go that was weird. i was like wondering why things looked a bit different there it is Who's your publisher? <laughs> uh, it was simon and schuster oh, good so you got a good deal with them because that that's I a... did. That yeah, was they had a new they had a new imprint i mean it, yeah tiller press which is an imprint mm -hmm. of simon and schuster and their imprint was um specifically for kind of personal development books, uplifting books that have, uh, th they're action books, things that mm -hmm. have kind of like a guidebook yeah. or whatever. So it was a perfect fit for uplifting stories. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad it's out. Let's find it. Where can we find you? So the book's everywhere, but where can we find Iona? Where can yes. we find you? So I'm Ioni at uh, Ioni Butler on all social media or we're uplifting content on all social media. So you're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, everywhere. Facebook, YouTube, yep, Twitter, and then uh, ionibutler.com and upliftingcontent.com. Okay. Well, yeah. thank you so much. I could talk to you a lot, but you've been very, before you go, mm -hmm. if you had to give the audience three tips to master your mind, three things that you have done and maybe still do to master your mind, how does Ioni master her mind? Share that with us before we have to wrap yeah, up. Yeah, the first one would be uh, recognizing that you are that your thoughts are not real. Mm -hmm. uh, your thoughts are things that you can control, and that um, uh, a lot of the times the suffering comes from the thoughts that we're thinking. So take control mm -hmm. of your thoughts. Think better thoughts. Um, the second one would be, uh, I guess, take action. You know, realizing that you can create anything you want to create, but you just have to think about it, figure it out and just do whatever you need to do to get there. Um, and the third one is, um, I would say, figure out what brings you joy and what you want to do. Not, not because you think you should, but like, what do you actually want to do? What brings you joy? I'm starting to question, um, being in LA for the sake of acting. Is that what I want to do? Or do I want to go and have a year traveling the world? kind of want to do the traveling the world for a year so yeah think about what I you tell want to my do. clients that what you're meant to do lies directly behind what you love to do 
between the age of seven and 14. So what you are meant to do, what, what is your unique skill set, what makes your heart sing, it lies behind and is connected to what gave you joy between the age of seven and 14. So looking back at your life now, what between the age of seven and 14 gave you joy? What did you love to do? Could be between the age of five and 16, but look back now and tell me what gave you joy. I, I started getting into all of my singing and dancing and acting stuff at 13. So I think that definitely had an impact. Um, started doing school plays a bit earlier than that, and which was kind of the original love. And then my mom was a travel agent. So we would, would travel a lot from about since I was three months old. So traveling, I mean, it's the same, it is the same thing. (laughs) That's the case that many of us say, I don't know. But if you look back, one of my clients was saying, you know, I was always doing puzzles and now I'm a strategist. Mm. I was always writing little stories and I'm a writer. My stories are always about unhappy families unloved children and so now that tends to be who I work with or adults who felt like they're unloved children so it's always fascinating to look back and for the audience look at what did you love to do between the age of seven and 14 what gave you joy or happiness because whatever it was that is the key to your unique skill set your unique gifts and it's what somehow you need to try your very best to put that into your career because of course when you do what you love and you love what you do, you actually feel like you never work a day in your life. I work very hard, I'm sure you do too, but it doesn't feel like work because I love it so much. And so when you can do what you love and love what you do, you're so fortunate. Mm -hmm. And when you can link back to what you love to do throughout your formative years and put that into your career, you'll always feel like you've never really worked hard ever. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're doing, so well done. Thank you. Thank you. It's been lovely to talk to you. I hope I get to meet you one day when you're still in LA and so am I. And have you got another book in the pipeline? Not yet. No, it was a challenge. My uh, writing is not my forte. And so that was one of the toughest things that I've I've done. Um, but yeah, the goal would be to have sort of spin-off books, but there's nothing. in. The I think book. once you give birth to one book, you always give birth to another. You always think I've only got mm. one. I thought I've only got one book in me and I've just written my seventh. But I remember when my oh, first wow. published, my author said, where's the next one? I went, oh, no, 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 that's it. That's it. I, I can't do another one. I only had one book in me. Wouldn't it be ridiculous? But I really believe that. And now I've just done my seventh. I'm already planning my eighth because it's like having lots of children. Once you've had the first one, it gets easier. (laughs) It's been lovely to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it. And let's plan to meet up very soon. That would be fantastic. And I can't wait to go and look, look at some more of your uplifting stories. Thank you for giving that to the world. It's a great idea. 